Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome back to the show, everybody. You are watching and or listening to the Belly Up Fantasy Live football show. Um, Beside me is Chris Dauhauer, and I, of course, am your host, Adam LaRue. Uh, Dan is away on a much-deserved vacation. Uh, Dan, I hope you're enjoying it if for some reason you are listening in. How are you doing, Dan? Or Chris? I'm doing pretty good. Sweating my butt off out here. I mean, it's been like 95 degrees the last couple of days, so hopefully, you know, trying to get just to the summer weather, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it has been very hot. I went to get groceries today. And I, it was uncomfortable to be outside. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about our top 10 most overvalued players, some of the guys we think are going uh, you know, too high, and there's guys below them that we think are, are better values, uh, whether at the same position or just kind of in general. Um, but before that, uh, just a special shout-out to uh, Manscaped. Um, <clears throat> uh, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. 4.0 compliment your dad bod or six pack with the trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name. Fellas join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off Free and free shipping with the code BellyUpFantasy. So first, uh, we can start with Cam Akers, who we both had on our list. Uh, so Chris, why are you so against the grain here with Cam Akers, who has been getting, I don't know, uh, I know you're not a big social media guy, he's been getting a ton of hype uh, on fantasy football Twitter uh, this season. So, yeah, I, I mean, I love K-Makers as a prospect. I think he's got a lot of talent. I like to fit with the Rams. But I have some questions about his high ranking, particularly basically the borderline first round, you know, early second round. A lot of te- I see a lot of rankings with him right now. And for me, I look at the statistics. It doesn't really match up. Um, you know, he had two touchdowns last year. That's uh, it's not very many for a guy who's supposed to be in a top 10 running back position. Um, he had two wonderful games. One of those games was against New England. Um, he had almost, you know, over 170 yards. He also had about 28 carries. And when you look at the touches, you know, from game to game, he really got 20-something carries. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't really catch the ball out of the backfield. So I don't necessarily see this dramatic jump. I think K-Makers going to be very productive. I think he's going to be, you know, borderline RB1, RB2. But I don't think he's a top, you know, prospect on my, on my board. I think that when you look overall, like I said, between the statistics of touchdowns he had last year and being involved in the passing game, I don't think this team's going to be a run-oriented team in any kind of shapes of the means. I think they traded for Matthew Stafford and gave a lot of capital, draft capital to get him. So I expect him to continue to throw the ball a lot. And I don't think K-Makers is necessarily going to be the, you know, this big breakout guy everybody wants to be, him to be necessarily. <clears throat> yeah, I think as a football player, he's going to have a, a great season. But uh, to your point, I think for fantasy guys like Mixon, uh, Najee Harris, uh, if Antonio Gibson can improve as a pass blocker, I think he would be uh, a much better 
better option and even potentially Josh Jacobs because I have a lot more confidence that he's going to get those touchdowns uh, than than I am of Akers. Um, Akers is, like you said, really talented back, really talented prospect, good situation. But between Stafford coming in, making the team more pass-oriented, between Henderson um, and him just not being a receiving back and not being someone you want to use the goal line, just being someone you're using, um, you know, between the, you know, each 20, you know, he's just not someone that for fantasy is, is he's going to be great. It's going to be, like you said, high end RB2 to low end RB1, but just not, you know, where he's getting picked at right now. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about that at Rams offensive line in general as well. I mean, they didn't do much to improve it. And I mean, a lot of people I think are hyping like he's going to be Todd Gurley. And I think that they're two different players. Right. For sure. Um, all right. So we'll move on to my uh, second guy and the first guy we differ on. Uh, I want to talk about Adam Thielen. Um, last year, he was very, very, very touchdown reliant. He had 14 touchdowns. It was the only time in his career that he went double digits. And if you, you know, drop that to the seven or so that he had been averaging throughout the rest of his career, he's we're talking a wide receiver four based on if he had the same receiving stats, same targets, same yards per reception, it's everything for a full 16, 17 games next year. But then he drops back down in touchdowns. He's it. It's just he's getting taken a lot higher than I would, knowing that risk that. Justin Jefferson is, to me, only going to continue to improve. He's only going to continue to demand a higher share in that offense. Um, I'm not buying into Kirk Cousins' second target if that second target isn't also a wide receiver one, which Adam Thielen has been for a long time. But, you know, after his injury uh, two seasons ago and then, you know, last season, still a very, very good player, still a very, very productive player. But a lot of his fantasy value – was coming from touchdowns and that's just not something that I want to bank on happening again because touchdowns are unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, the 14 touchdowns, I don't think is necessarily a number he's going to reach again. I do question though, whether he'll be more productive in the passing game yardage wise, um, just because I do think he'll be, hopefully he'll be more healthy to your mm-hmm. point. He's been banged up the last two years last year. He'd missed, you know, had missed some time. It's definitely not himself in some senses, but I do think that, when you talk about a receiver one, I don't think that's not a receiver one anymore, unfortunately. Right. All right. So on to Kareem Hunt, who, uh, you know, is the premier second string running back <laughs> in the NFL and in fantasy. Uh, so, so why do you think he's being being overhyped? Why is he getting taken too high? So I look at a lot of the running backs that are kind of going after Kareem Hunt, and I think they're actually starters, number one, and I kind of look at the numbers. Kareem Hunt was very productive overall statistically, but he had a big his basic biggest spurts came when Nick Chubb was injured, mm-hmm. um, especially carrying the ball. He's always kind of involved in the passing game. So PPR purposes, I can see that you might still have Kareem Hunt. But I think overall, when you look at the production, he's not necessarily going to be heavily involved in the running game. He's not going to be heavily involved in the, in the red zone. Um, and I think that you got a lot of production, like I said, with Nick Chubb kind of being banged up last year and Kareem Hunt kind of capitalizing on that. I do think those numbers are going to drop in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm still not understanding why Nick Chubb can't be involved in the passing game. I don't know if that's ever going to change, but I do think that overall Kareem Hunt's being a little too valued for me where I don't, he's kind of basically, you know, borderline going with a lot of starting running backs, um, you know, RB2. I think statistically he finished that way last year, but I think overall this year he can't put the same kind of production. Right. He's definitely getting a boost from uh, the spurts when Chubb was out last year. And to your point, guys who are, are definite starters, n- not the, the same level of talent as Hunt, but definite starters nonetheless in uh, Miles Gaskin, uh, Mostert, Chase Edmonds, uh, Fournette, Etienne, Mike Davis. Uh, these guys are all going behind Hunt. Uh, and then, you, you know, your choice of Denver running back and some of these other muddier situations – uh, but, you know, he's he's just in a situation that's really holding him back uh, in fantasy terms. And on the field, he's in a fantastic situation. He's an impactful player on the Browns offense. They're a run-heavy offense, and they're, a, you know, they like to throw to him. They He helps the team more as a football player than he does fantasy teams as a fantasy player. He's just not someone that brings as much fantasy value as he does real-world NFL value. Uh, so I, I would definitely have to agree with you there. 
Um, him being taken as an RB2 just seems a lot like a risk to me. As a high-end flex, I would 100% get oh, yes. it, but not as, a, um, I, not as your RB2. I was going to say, I'll think he benefited from OBJ being out most of last year, too, so that helped, helped mm-hmm. him in the passing game you know, quite a bit. I think Cleveland to kind of throw the ball a bit more than they had the last year, or last two years, I should say, because I think with OBJ healthy and Mayfield more comfortable, I think they're going to open up a little bit. I think they're going to be coming up throw first team necessarily, but I think they throw the ball a bit more and that's so much the running backs like they were last year. Absolutely. All right. On to one of the other big names that you and I agreed on. Um, and then we'll, we'll start to differ a lot more here on out. Uh, Chris Godman was one that we, we both uh, thought was overvalued. Um, I, I know why I think he's overvalued. What, what do you have to say on the subject? I mean, for me, Chris Godwin's a hell of a player, and I think he's really talented. But I looked at the numbers last year, and I can't see where people are expecting the jump for him to be a receiver one, where he's basically going right now. Um, mm-hmm. He scored, I think, six or seven touchdowns last year. He, you know, close to 1,000 yards, but he wasn't super consistent. And one of the things I noticed towards the end of the season was Tom Brady started getting on the same page more than Mike Evans, besides just being in the red zone all the time. And Antonio Brown became kind of his security blanket in a lot of ways. So with both those players returning and becoming more, you know, comfortable with with um with Tom Brady, I think Godwin's not going to be the guy who's necessarily going to be eating week in week out. That's especially for a guy you're basically drafting. You know, where you're talking about Adam Thielen, it's got to basically going around receiver one value right now, and I can't go there. I mean, I think he's really very talented, but I said the statistics last year don't add up to that, and I don't see the numbers producing, you know, improving much this year. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Antonio Brown was going like. 30 receivers later and I I honestly think he'll be targeted more like I don't know if we'll get maybe the same amount of touchdowns or maybe the exact same amount of fantasy points but I mean in terms of targets in terms of who who Brady's going to look to throw to first I genuinely think that Galladay will be the third option or Godwin sorry (laughs) Godwin will be the third option and you know it's just it's a loaded receiving core it's a loaded offense in general Someone who's incredibly talented has to be the odd man out. And in this case, I, I think it's going to be uh, Godwin because Antonio Brown is going to eat in PPR. He's going to get a ton of targets. And Evans is going to be that red zone guy. To your point, he was getting you know um, targets throughout the rest of the field a lot more often last season. And, you know, they've got a bunch of tight ends. They've got, you know, two, three, four running backs that are, you know, going to need at least some work. They didn't draft Keyshawn Vaughn for nothing. Um, You know, Rojo's going to get some touches. Fournette's going to get some touches. Giovanni Bernard was was brought on as a receiving back. That is the only role that they wanted him for. So, I mean, you know, there's just the ball. Someone's going to get left out. I think it's Godwin. And it looks like we are on the same page there. So when I was reading through your list, I think the one that stuck out to me the most, and I actually did end up packing it on at the end of mine, but I think you're going to have a a much stronger thought on this subject um, than I do. But Justin Herbert being your your number four most overvalued. um, Yeah, when I looked at it at first, I was like, eh, like, I don't know about that. But then I I took a look at the ADP and actually seeing guys like – Brady and um, Rogers, and I believe Russ as well behind him. I I can see, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I mean, I think two guys were off the bat: Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, who are going you know two three rounds after Justin Herbert. Um, I think that Herbert's numbers will be solid this year, and I think he's still being a quarterback one. But I think a lot of times when you look at what he did last year, expecting to have the same seasons, to me, is kind of um, high expectations in the sense that. Their, their offense was familiar to him. I mean, Anthony Lynn was a coach, you know, different coaching staff, different scheme, talking about being more pass-oriented and kind of building the offense around him. But as remains to be seen, I think that the Chargers were horrible running the ball last year. Um, I think that can improve in a lot of ways, which might take away some of his numbers. And then overall, I think that they didn't do much to upgrade his, you know, receiving core. I think losing Hunter Henry is going to hurt in the red zone. And I think that when you look at the team in general, he had a lot of big play touchdowns last year. Um, and I kind of, you know, talked about Adam Thielen's regression because of the 14 touchdowns. I think Justin Herbert had over was uh, six, I think, 20 or 50 yard or more touchdown passes last year. I put that regression to, you know, definitely occur. 
Um, and I expect that there's going to be some adjustments to his kind of his scheme. You saw that kind of as the season progressed, teams started focusing on taking Keenan Allen away in a lot of ways. That seems to be his security blanket. Once you took that first read and Keenan Allen away, he wasn't as nearly as effective. So I do think there's going to be another you know, year of tape on Justin Herbert. And overall, like I said, there's a lot of other guys who I think are going lower than he is. They will have higher value. And I think that he's not a guy I'm reaching on in the fifth or sixth round right now. Absolutely. Yeah, he's someone who is a dynasty guy. I think he's one of the best assets that you can have. Um, for stability, he's someone that, you know, you're hoping, you know, barring like injury or, or some crazy regression can be a cornerstone of your franchise for a decade um, in dynasty. In redraft, that's just not how this works. In redraft, someone like Aaron or Brady or Russ, who, you know, right now is, you know, going to go put up some big numbers. And I think numbers that I have a little bit more faith in than Herbert putting up this year. Uh, yeah, to your point, he is due for a touchdown regression. Um, he, you know, he had some flaws coming out and they started to present themselves, not near to the extent that I ever thought that they would, but they started to ease their way back in a little bit towards the end. He did slow down a lot. You know, he came out uh, during that Chiefs game and played fantastic and kind of rode that high for a while. Um, but like you said, once they took Keenan Allen away and in that first read, then there just wasn't a lot left for him. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. And I don't trust much of the receivers around him outside of Keenan Allen to be, you know, the guys that are consist- going to consistently be open for him. Uh, he's got a ton of deep threats and then Keenan Allen, but then not like a lot that fills other roles, um, which, which to me is a concern. Yeah, um, I think also Keenan Allen was healthy most of last year, which isn't consistently been the case you know, in the past few years. Yeah, that's also 100% too. 100% true. Um, similar to what we all had to say about Godwin, uh, I, I ha- had a lot of similar thoughts when, when I looked at Chase Claypool. Um, he's someone that I, I think is getting overhyped. Uh, I think for him, it's specifically because of his physical ability, because he's a, a fast 6'4 wide receiver on an offense that threw at a high volume last year. But to me, just like Godwin, I think he's at best, at best he will be the second option. And I can very easily see a way in which he is the third. And he's being drafted like relatively high uh, for for someone who, you know, was under a thousand yard receiving and, you know, coming into his second year. I just, I don't know. I, I love the player. Uh, you know, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I, you know that at this point, having been on this show. But a guy who is either going to be a low-end, like he's getting drafted as a high-end wide receiver three, and that's about where I see him on his own team, is it, as a good wide receiver three. There were points late in the season last year where Ben was specifically requesting for James Washington to get in more. And if that's not <laughs> not a, a problem to you as someone that's going after Claypool, then I like I just don't understand. I don't know. Am I crazy here? No. I mean, I like Claypool's talent, and I think he's a phenomenal guy. I mean, talking about dynasty leagues earlier, I think that's something you definitely want to get a guy you want to key on. But to your point. I looked at he's basically going two or three picks after Deontay Johnson. He's basically ranked most you know, head and head with Deontay Johnson. I think Deontay Johnson is definitely number one receiver. I don't think it's really close. I think it's debatable who the number two receiver is in a lot of ways. Will it be Juju? Will he have that bounce back? You know, will it be Claypool? Will it be James Washington? Will it be one of the tight ends? You know, they drafted the tight end this year as well. So they're bringing different weapons in. And they brought in Najee Harris, which is going to be a huge addition to that offense in the passing game, I think, as well. You know, Connor wasn't really heavily involved in the passing game. And when Benny Snell took over, he wasn't involved in the passing game at all. So I think that when you look at what, you know, Najee brings to the table, not only they look to run the ball a bit more, but they throw on the ball to him a little bit more too. So I think Claypool's numbers could suffer. 
Um, but I also think that he's a guy that you kind of keep your eye on just because he has a lot of DK Metcalf ability where you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, physicality wise. Sometimes those guys just, you know, could beast out and get you touchdowns. Um, but I do think the volume and the consistency is going to be something you're kind of worried about. And I think there's other guys like Brandon Cooks and people like that are going way below. He is you know, two, three rounds after him. And I think that's a little too rich for my blood as well. So I can understand that ranking is that you're talking about. Yeah. And to your point on, on Najee Harris, um, I, which I forgot to even bring up. He only, once again, Claypool only had like 850-ish yards last season. He was a fantasy asset because of his touchdowns. He had the one three-touchdown game and then had a you know a handful later in the season. If Najee Harris starts coming in and being the goal line guy that I think he's very well capable of being, then, I mean, that's going to take away a lot of Claypool's value. Then he's really only, you know, he'll probably still get a couple goal line catches and, he'll you know, he's fast enough and, you know, has all of the makings to be a great deep threat, then I'm not worried that he won't get any. But we could see him capped out at like six or seven. And for someone who we're, you know, I'm not convinced will be a thousand yard receiver this season, seven's not cutting it for where he's getting drafted. Um, so that's that's my spiel on on no, Claypool. <laughs> uh, you've got a, a little string of rookies going, and we'll we'll start it with. Etienne, uh, another young player like Claypool, like Herbert, um, this time in his first year. Yeah, I, I try to see Etienne's in a, in a weird situation, I think, going this year. Um, right now, he's basically the ADP between the sixth and seventh round. So people looking at their RB3. Um, I think that maybe he's a flex option at some point in this season. Maybe as the season progresses, maybe you'll see me have running back three value. But in the beginning of the season, James Robinson is not going anywhere. They brought in um, Carlos Hyde. And one of the things I like to point out is the coaching staff in general. Um, you know, you have Urban Meyer there. You brought in Aaron, um, <clears throat> sorry, Darren Bevel, and you have Schottenheimer as well in there. All these guys have traditionally liked to have their hammer backs, where they like to have some guy who's kind of a bigger guy and kind of smashes it up the middle between off ta- between the tackles. So I think James Robinson kind of profiles as that guy. So does Carlos Hyde. I think there's a lot of talk about Travis Etienne being kind of you know a weapon um, and playing the Percy Harvin role. I think that's the worst thing that you can you can kind of target, especially as a rookie, as a Percy Harvin role. We heard the same thing about Chenault last year, and he didn't do anything productive-wise in Jacksonville. So I think that maybe when you look at the ETN, you might have a guy that you maybe you want to draft later in the round, later in the draft, as a guy you want to have kind of stashed on your bench as the, for the playoff run. But I think in the beginning of the season, you're going to see this team basically try to take the pressure off of Trevor Lawrence. They're going to try to establish the run. They're going to try to be physical. I think this guy, if he's going to be pretty much a third or fourth mouth they feed on the offense, how can you, you know, justify him being your RB3? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's what's what I think is really interesting about a couple of these backs because uh, Javante Williams is the same way. It's like, how do you value this guy who I think could be a really valuable asset to have down the stretch when you start getting into those fantasy playoffs, when you start you know getting into those win and you're in games, these really important games down the stretch. But first half of the season, I'm expecting you to maybe be a flex option. Uh, Javante Williams is a little different because I think he can get on the field in a lot of a lot more different ways. Um, but you know, yeah, it's just that problem of when are you getting in, and if it's in the second half of the season, at what ratio are we talking? Because it, I'm willing to take that risk potentially if we're talking a 70-30 split between ETN and uh, and James Robinson. But if it's closer to 60-40 or 50-50 then that doesn't help me going down the stretch. So it's you're taking a massive risk on him and Williams and a couple of these other backs who we're hoping can late in the season supplant their veteran starters. And I just don't think it's worth it. There's safer options available. There's more, you know, there's options that you can trust available at the same ADP who can get you similar upside, but not nearly the the downside that, you know, some of these young big names boast. Well, yeah, I think even the Jalate Williams talking about him, he's the guy that I target over ETN. And he's going about two rounds later than ETN's projected to go right now. So that's where I kind of look at this guy and say, really, how high are you valued? And you're definitely overhyped. Like I said, I'd rather have Jalate Williams. He made a great point. He's going to, I think, be more involved in a lot of different ways um, and has more of a clear access to getting on the field and production-wise. Where ETN, you know, if it's going to be this gadget role, I don't know where you can necessarily guess that's going to happen or when it's going to happen. And I also think that when you look at the guys below him, like Damian Harris, people like that, there's guys going, you know, two, three rounds right now, ADP lower than he is, who 
who I definitely know are going to be starting on, you know, starting the season and be their bell cows for some of these teams. Right. Like Mike Davis, for example, um, as you said, Williams is going below him. Um, I believe you can have your pick of Edmonds or Connor in a lot of cases. Uh, Michael Carter's available. There's a lot of guys who either of the Buffalo backs, a lot of guys are available that, that you can go get that you know what you are getting rather than ETN, which is this massive mystery. He might be someone that, like I said uh, in the beginning, he you know helps you win your league because he comes in and becomes the bell cow down the stretch, but he might not, and I'm not going to be the one that takes that risk. Agreed. All right. Uh, before we get into uh, too much else, let's go ahead and get on to that um, – the ad read for the Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation Best Ball League that we are doing uh, in conjunction with them. Yeah. So do you think you're the best at best ball? Well, take on some of the top analysts in the industry while also playing for charity. When you sign up for the Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, a belly up charity ball bowl tournament. This mega tournament will have over 204 teams with 17 different leagues each of these leagues will be named for Childhood Cancer Hero, and over $2,000 donation will be made to the Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation to help fight against childhood cancer. All you have to do is sign up with a, and pay a $20 entry fee, which will also allow you to play for some big money. Our first place is $1,200, plus $100 worth of value from Trophy Snack. Second place is $400, and if you win your league, you win your money back. So for $20, you get your $20 back. Sign up today when you go to the bellyupfantasysports.com slash bellyup-bowl, or just click the link to join a fun competition for a great cause. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great cause. I highly encourage anyone who's listening to join in. Um, I will be involved. Um, I know Dan will. Uh, it's going to be a great time. All right, on to my my fifth player, who I'm sticking at the receiver position for the fourth straight uh, person on my list. I'm moving it over to Kenny Galladay. And this is another guy who, and I think I've probably also said this about the last four guys, I really like the talent. I think Galladay is a great player. I don't trust Daniel Jones at all, especially in regards to him. Daniel Jones, to me, is not someone who I, I think is going to um, give him the ball a lot in those contested situations, and that's what Galladay needs. Um, it, I don't know. I don't trust Daniel Jones to get him the volume down the field that uh, Galladay needs, and it's just I don't think Jason Garrett is going to be creative in getting Galladay the ball in you know ways where they can figure something out interesting on the offense. Just all in all, I Giants offense is one that I'm hesitant to get into. Uh, Barkley at the right price, obviously, and a couple of the other guys, sure. But Galladay for for where he's getting drafted, it's just it's just not for me. I don't think uh, I'm trying to pull back up where exactly his his ADP is. Um, because yeah, he's going. Yeah, yeah, he's going above guys like Deontay Johnson, above you know T. Higgins, Odell, uh, Jamar Chase, Cortland Sutton, Brandon Cooks. You know, and again, I just think those options are safer. He could do great with Daniel Jones, but I'm not betting on it personally. So I have a little different take on this one um, just because I look at Kenny Galladay's most successful season, and that was with about a bunch of Detroit backup, backup, backup quarterbacks for that basically the entire season. So when it comes to the quarterback play, I think Deion Jones is definitely better than some of the backup Detroit throughout two years ago. Um, and then I also look at what, you know, Jason Garrett, while I understand that there's definitely questions about his creativity, he was able to use Des Bryant pretty effectively, who's in a lot of similar ways you know, I think Kenny Galladay is. I think Kenny Galladay is going to be the true number one receiver on this team. I think he'll be featured accordingly, just like Dez was. Now, the rest of the guys, I 100% agree, where I wonder where the value and kind of where they fall into place, because we saw people like Cole Beasley. We saw, like you know, um, Austin. We've seen different players kind of go in and out of Terrence Williams, going in and out of Dallas. Basically, that second receiver is basically wasted a lot of times. Um, and then, you know, there's some use to the tight end, Jace Witten, you know, out there catching four-yard passes forever. 
But I do think that when it comes to them using the, their number one receiver and kind of featuring him, Jason Garrett has kind of a history of doing so. So I kind of trust that part. I do trust that Daniel Jones, um, he talked about, you know, being aggressive. Might be the most aggressive quarterback. He does throw some jump balls, though. He's willing to throw the ball up a little bit more than most guys are. So that's kind of why I kind of, you know, believe in that. But I understand the questions because I know Dan and I had an argument off off air about this, um, about where we kind of see Kenny Galladay's value. And he had a similar point of view that you have, where it's just basically, you know, where is he going to eat on the food chain? And will Daniel Jones actually give him the ball? Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say was that he's absolutely better than um, those, those Lions quarterbacks. You're 100% right there. Um, but I just I, – I almost think a lot of these – a lot of times, especially these young backups, you think uh, – and even older guys, Fitzpatrick fits this really well. But they'll come on the field, they'll be super aggressive because what do you have to lose? But Daniel Jones has a lot to lose. And I, I don't – you know, you're right. He's not, you know, uber conservative like Alex Smith. Like we're not talking about that. But he's just not someone uh, who I'm going to trust someone who with who I don't think is going to be obviously open all of the time. He's someone that the quarterback's going to have to make open a lot. I don't trust Daniel Jones to do that. All right. Understandable. Uh, going back to your list, and this is one I find really interesting because he is someone that's getting a ton of hype. And for good reason, uh, he stands to get an insane target share at the tight end position, TJ Hawkinson of the Detroit Lions. Yeah. So once again, I go back to the numbers from last year. I think that there's um, a drop off in the quarterback from Matthew Stafford to going to Jared Goff. I think that you look at the weapons you kind of talked about. And Kenny Galladay was hurt most of last year. So he wasn't very productive. Marvin Jones was kind of in and out most of the season. So T.J. Hawkinson had a chance to kind of shine last year and really didn't put up fantastic numbers as a result of it. He was primarily you know, the number one weapon for a good good amount of weeks last year in a lot of ways. Uh, I think he's definitely the number one weapon on Detroit this year, but I question how much they're going to score. I wonder how productive their offense is going to be in general. And I also think that this guy has been here in the league about three years now, and he hasn't had that breakout year he's kind of waiting for. Um, I think that people are kind of looking at their – you know, through attrition that the receiving core is so poor that he has to be the guy. But like I said, you look at the numbers last year, look at some of the guys they were throwing out there last year. He was probably the number two or number one receiver in a lot of threat a lot of weeks last year, and he still wasn't producing in the high level. So I look at the guy, I think he's a solid tight end. I just don't necessarily believe the hype because I think that a lot of people are just kind of assuming he's going to have this dramatic jump, and I don't necessarily see it. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right on a lot of that. I guess I'd push back a little bit. I think that, you know, with their head coach having been a tight ends coach um, and with how I think this offense is likely going to be between between him and Anthony Lynn and just everyone involved, it's almost guaranteed to be a, a run heavy, like we're going to run two tight end, two wide receiver sets or or, you know, I form or like, I think they're going to be an offense that runs sets where tight ends will be heavily involved a lot. And with that, I just, I think his opportunities to be involved in the passing game a little bit more will be there, but to your point, how much more. And if the drop off in quarterback is negated by him getting a couple more opportunities is there, you know, I, I think you're right. I don't see a massive jump. I think you might see his targets go up, but I don't necessarily know if they'll be as valuable of targets as, you know, what you have with Stafford and as what you have with, you know, for the couple games that Galladay was there when there's other receiving options. 
Because at the end of the day, when you're one receiving option and you're not even like a, a, he's a super technically great player, but he's not this matchup nightmare that some of these other freak fantasy, you know, output guys at the tight end position are. You know, he's someone that can be covered by a, a linebacker because he's not an outrageous athlete. Um, overall, I think I think he is a really good player. I just, for fantasy purposes, I think he, we're only really talking about him in this way because of the complete lack of weapons on the rest of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, um, I think you make a good point about Dan Campbell. Maybe that will kind of change it and make him more involved. But I also look at Anthony Lynn's usage of tight ends. Hunter Henry basically left you kind of scratching your head from week to week when he was out there healthy and wasn't really necessarily heavily involved in the passing game or targeted a lot. So, I mean, I think that Hockenstein's red zone opportunities will be there, but I kind of question the numbers production-wise overall. Yeah, absolutely. And we will be – I'm going to go on to my last receiver. I was thinking about switching with – so we can go back-to-back tight ends. But we'll go with my last receiver – we're going to talk about Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs is not going very high, but honestly, just given some of the flyer wide receivers that you can have after him, I still, it just irks me that he's, so he's being drafted as a wide receiver five. So like, whatever, like it, this is someone you're, he's at the top of your bench. You're, you're taking a flyer on him potentially being good, but I just don't see it with the offensive line getting worse and them him still not being a productive deep threat last year with him now, one, not being the best deep threat on this team, two, having a worse offensive line. So they're probably, if they try to throw deep as, you know, as often as they did last year, I don't think it'll go well. And if they don't, then Ruggs is essentially useless. And then some of the guys going after him are guys like Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder, his own teammate, John Brown, who I'm not convinced that he beats out. Uh, even Nelson Aguilar, I think, could you know be a little bit more productive. Sterling Shepard. Um, we talk about Detroit, Amon Ross St. Brown almost feels a little bit safer in terms of that he's going to get uh, the targets required. I feel more confident in him getting those targets than I do Ruggs. Granted, Ruggs has a much higher ceiling, but that's besides the point. I'm not. Sh- I think his floor is at rock bottom, and I'm not sure how much higher than that his actual performance will be. Yeah, I mean, I think you make an excellent point. He reminds me a lot of Ross from Cincinnati. We free well, Ross is on the Giants now, but the kind mm-hmm. of that one trick pony um, that you know you have a lot of hype because of the speed. First of all, can we just relax the whole comp to Tyree Kill because he was never Tyree <laughs> Kill, he never will be Tyree Kill. Um, yeah. Number two. I think that when you look at the production and the jumps, you know, last year, Nelson Aguilar was a deep threat. So that kind of should tell you something that Nelson Aguilar, who wasn't really known for being a deep threat, was the prime number one deep threat. And basically all Ruggs did was be a decoy. Now they said they're going to use him a lot more in the passing game. And we hear John Gruden talk about, you know, how we're going to involve him more. John Gruden says a lot of stuff in the offseason doesn't happen during the regular season. One thing we know traditionally, he plays those veteran receivers more times than not. You made a point about John Brown. John Brown's going to be on the field because he's a veteran receiver. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you look on the other side, you have Edwards coming back. Edwards was pretty productive until he got hurt last year. I think he has more of the red zone targets and more usage. And then you have guys like, you know, Renfro and different slot receivers they have on that team. They brought in Kenny Drake to throw the ball to somewhat. So I think that when you look at the mouths to feed, particularly closer to the line of scrimmage, and I agree with you, the offensive line is going to be butt this year again. Um, Derek Carr doesn't necessarily like to push the ball down the field as it is. So he's going to have guys that he can kind of hit the ball and get quickly to the, you know, get rid of the ball quickly to. I think he's going to utilize those guys. I think Ruggs might have a big weaker here or there. He'll kind of be that, you know, that, that, that wins you one gamer here maybe. But overall, I, that's not a guy I'm targeting, especially as my fourth or fifth receiver, because like you said, there's a lot better options with better upside, I think, as the season progresses. And this guy, what does he do other than be fast? He's not going to be effective in the red zone. He doesn't run great patterns. So you're just basically looking for that big play. And if you don't get that big play, basically you get nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he just doesn't have the, the lateral, like sideline of like agility that the Tyreek does. I will never understand that comp. He is a straight line track speed guy. He is not someone that I, I, I don't know. I don't see that. And to your point with Edwards, I, 
Honestly, if I'm taking a receiver from that draft class from the Raiders last year, I would honestly consider taking Edwards first. I don't really I'm not that concerned with the draft capital. I've seen what I need to see from rugs and I'm I'm just not interested. Um moving on from rugs, we get to go with another wide receiver. This time on your side, Debo Samuel, you have to say. Yeah, so I talked about Cream Hunt kind of you know making his heyday when Nick Chubb was out. This guy, Debo Samuel, basically made his heyday when Ayuk wasn't the number one starter. And once Ayuk kind of took over that, I think he was the guy, the primary beneficiary in the season, rest of the season progressed on and was a true number one receiver in a lot of ways. He didn't have George Kittle for most of the season or a healthy George Kittle for most of the season. He's going to return. And then you have a team that basically loves to run the ball as it is with a chance that Trey Lance is becoming the quarterback you know, as the season progresses. So when you look at all those different factors, I don't see how Debo Samuel consistently becomes a true threat and a guy that eats in week in, week out. And particularly for a guy going ninth, tenth round right now, some of the receivers are still on the board and you know, later on for rugs. There's a lot of guys on the board like a Brandon Cooks, people like those, you know, around the same value where I'm definitely going to try to target a guy who I think has more upside than Debo Samuel. I know he has a lot of ability break tackles. There's a lot of talking about, you know, how he get the ball different ways. But overall, like I said, this offense has got a lot of different weapons that they're going to utilize. And they're going to have guys who are, can catch the ball out of the backfield a bit more. Raheem Mostert wasn't really used out of the backfield. I think you're going to see Sermon used a bit more out of the backfield. You're going to see Mitchell Polly be involved in the passing game. I think overall, you just don't see the volume in the passing game to defeat a second receiver in his offense, in my opinion. Yeah, 100% agree. I don't think that um, you know him as the second receiver is going to be a product, a, an incredibly uh, productive role. And again, to your point, Brandon Cooks, who, who you mentioned is going, he's about two receivers uh, ahead of him. And then behind him, you've got guys like Will Fuller and Jerry Judy, Devontae Parker, Curtis Samuel, Jalen Waddell, uh, Marvin Jones, Antonio Brown, even Michael Gallup, who are guys who, who I am a lot uh, higher in favor of, who I think have a lot lower of floors. And honestly, in a lot of, in a couple of these cases, like, uh, specifically Fuller and Samuel, who I honestly potentially think have higher ceilings um, than than Debo does. Uh, I, I mean, as long as Ayuk and Kittle are healthy, or even one of them, I just don't see the opportunity for him to be a fantasy stud. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, all right. So finally, I will. I'm done with the wide receiver position on my list. And it looks, yeah, you are as well. So we're out of the wide receivers, we're on to the tight ends, and I am going to start by talking about the tight end 13 currently per Fantasy Pros, uh, Hunter Henry, who's, who's come up a couple times today. And for me, I just, it's if that's the guy you're taking, you're at, so at tight end 13, we're talking about someone who either, A, you liked him more than an Evan Ingram or a Mike Kosicki, uh, and you want you would rather have him as your your tight end one, or you're talking. I'm putting a luxury as my at my backup tight end position because I don't trust one, you know who I got as my tight end one. And for me, I would rather have in this situation his teammate Jonu Smith. I would rather have Tanyan. I'd honestly, I'd honestly rather have Jared Cook, who I think could be an interesting receiving option this year. Um, to me, Hunter Henry. Just with all the injuries, he just – I don't think he's the athlete that he was. I think he's capable of being a really good red zone threat and, you know, getting a, a decent volume. But I don't think he's going to be someone that stretches the field. Um, and I don't think he's going to be someone who does anything that, you know, you are you don't just expect from the tight end position. Um, I, you know, he's someone who I think is going to be a possession guy on short passes – used in the red zone whereas Jonu Smith I think they're going to really be creative with and you know guys like Tanyan um, you know he obviously this all goes out the window if Aaron Rodgers is gone but I think he'll get at least be as productive as Hunter Henry with Rodgers and Cook I mean he could very well end up being the second or third option on the Chargers offense not that Hunter Henry can't you know, on the Patriots offense, but unless they very quickly move on from Cam, I would rather have the second the second or third option on the Chargers than on the Patriots any day of the week. 
Yeah. Um, so I struggle with this one a little bit more because I do, I agree with the Johnny Smith will be more valuable, especially in PPR purposes. And I think that, you know, Robert Tanya is somebody that I definitely take over Hunter Henry. Um, but I also think that when you look at Hunter Henry, basically where he's going, he's kind of taking a flyer. You talk about a backup quarter, backup tight end, you know, borderline maybe starter for your team. Um, I think that what he excites me about is where I think that he has some value because he's going so late. He's not being overly pushed a lot of ways. And I think numbers wise, I think he puts up some of the numbers that Hockenstein did last year. So that's why I have Hockenstein as one of my, kind of my busts. Because I look at Hunter Henry as a guy who can get you some red zone touchdowns. He's not going to have, you know, 1,000 yards, but he might get you between seven and 900 yards, somewhere in that range. He's probably going to get you about, you know, seven to 10 touchdowns, depending. You do have Cam Newton as a quarterback who'd love to throw to his tight ends. Um, they're not all much on the outside. So I see the upside opportunity there for Hunter Henry, but I don't disagree that it's not a guarantee he's going to be productive, especially over certain guys like you're saying, Janu Smith or Robert Tanya, who I think definitely have more value. Um, but I think he's somebody maybe I would take a flyer on later on. I don't think he's being – his ADP isn't ridiculous in my opinion, but I do understand you know, some of the questions, especially the health overall, what will he really bring to the table. Yeah, 100%. He's someone – and I, I'm probably this way on most of these last couple – but who I'm being a little bit more more nitpicky on in that, um, you know, I think there there's a player or two behind them that I'd rather have. But overall, like they're not in that crazy of a spot. Um, so we'll move on to your Trevor Lawrence take over there with your you're doubling up on your Jaguars rookies. <laughs> well, this goes back to kind of my point about what, you know, the offense and what kind of the coaches you have in place. Aaron Bevel coached, um, you know, Russell Wilson his rookie year, and they were predominantly a run-oriented team. Um, Urban Meyer, you know, gets a lot of glitz and talk about how he runs a spread offense, but he likes to run the ball predominantly. And, Kirsch, you know, Kurt Schottenheimer is your offensive passing coach who traditionally got ran out of New York Jets because he didn't throw the ball enough. So it's really interesting to see kind of their mix of coaches staff that they have a bunch of guys who like love to run the ball for three yards and a pound, you know, pound of dust afterwards, um, or cloud of dust, I should say. And I think that when you look at Trevor Lawrence's hype, I think his numbers aren't too bad where he's going ADP-wise, but there's a lot of hype on Trevor Lawrence. He's going to put out Justin Herbert numbers, Andrew Luck numbers. I don't necessarily think he's going to have this you know, dramatic start off the beginning of the season. I also question some of the talk about his legs. When you look in college, you know, it took a while for Trevor Lawrence to actually want to run the ball consistently. He hasn't been highly effective running the ball in college, and I don't see why it changes necessarily in the pros. This guy isn't you know, a dual threat where he's running for 1,000 yards while he was in college. He ran for a couple hundred yards, I think, last year. And the year before, I think he only had, like, two, I think, 300 yards, I think it was, on, like, on 70 attempts. So when you look overall at a guy who really isn't necessarily a guy who's trying to look to run, um, you don't have the floor that you kind of expect to have in a lot of senses. And I think you can guarantee the upside that you see in Justin Herbert or Andrew Luck was because I think you look at the guys around and the coaching staff around, that doesn't really add up to me. So maybe I'm surprised by what he was able to do, but I think the hype is kind of where I'm kind of, you know, poo-pooing a little bit on Trevor Lawrence because I feel like people are really trying to make this guy like he's – because he's a generational talent, he's going to put up these generational numbers right off the bat. I don't necessarily see that happening. Right. And, I mean, you see guys like uh, – so he's currently going as the QB 14, so you're expecting him to be a high-end QB 2 to a borderline QB 1, which for a rookie is just a lot to ask in general – um, but you're talking about beating out guys like uh, Matt Ryan, who's in a, an offense with a lot of good weapons and uh, could be really good, uh, especially if they don't have like a, a dynamic running back. So the passing volume could be there. Um, you know, Justin Fields, who has a much safer, I think, floor once he gets on the field because of the running ability. Um, and then, you know, a couple of these other guys, Baker, Kirk, et cetera. Kirk has been a great quarterback to have as your QB two for a long time now. Um, and, you know, I just, there is a little bit of the upside. I, I will say uh, that's what kept him off of my list just because their defense is so putrid. They just haven't done enough to touch it that I, I could see him having like needing to throw a lot. I could see the choice being taken away from his coaching staff, but if his coaching staff gets what they want, you're right. I just, I think there's a couple of safer options below him. Yeah. I mean, I think overall there's some guys that I'd take a shot on and some other guys who I think are in better situations. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Wilson puts up better fantasy numbers than Trevor Lawrence does this year. Right. He's, a, you know, in a, a much more, 
at this point. I hate to come to this assumption before they've played a game, but I think it's a, a much more stable uh, coaching situation or in general organizational organizational situation. Um, I think Wilson's got great weapons. Uh, I think, to your point, he's a little bit more willing to run um, when things break down. Um, so I, I could absolutely see it. He's someone who, if, if we did a top 10 undervalued, I think he would be near the top of that list because he is getting absolutely no love. All right, moving on to... Um, all right, so I had done Justin Herbert. I was a little bit uh, – we already pretty much had this conversation. But I was a little bit more nitpicky about him. I just really uh, – I don't think he should be going ahead of Rodgers and Brady. Uh, but past that, I, I think he's that next up guy. Um, so we'll we'll just move straight on to my number nine guy, who's Jalen Hurts. Um, he's another guy who I'm not like – I don't think it's that outrageous where he's going, but to me, he he profiles to me just because of his, his passing ability that I don't trust very much. I, I would rather have some a couple of the guys going below him in Ryan Tannehill, Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, uh, even potentially Matt Ryan, who we discussed with Lawrence. I would potentially have one of those guys instead of Hertz, who I think I think Hertz's floor is safe as long as he's the starter. And with Joe Flacco as the backup, I'm not that concerned that he loses the starting job. But I I don't think that there's the upside that some are are, are taking with him because I, I just don't think he'll ever, like, ignite as a, as a passer. I think he's someone who you're banking on getting a rushing touchdown for your, your fantasy day to be any more than a solid 15 points. Yeah, I mean, I think that – I like Jalen Hurts' legs. I think he has a floor because of the legs. Um, but I do have some legitimate questions about his overall production. Number one, change in coaching staff. Um, I think that you have a team, you know, basically I, I have no idea what we're actually going to get from the for Sirianni right now. Um, and I think that we looked at Jacoby Brissett with a pretty good mobile threat for the Colts. But he wasn't really utilized in the running game at all when he became the quarterback starter for them. So I kind of wonder if Jalen Hurts is kind of coached to stay in the pocket more often. And I also think if you look at the weapons, while I like Devontae Smith, he's a rookie. You have Jalen Rieger, second year. So you have a lot of guys who are younger receivers. And it takes usually receivers a little bit to consistently get open and consistently be effective. So Jalen Hurts has got a lot of things stacked against him, I think, to be productive in the passing game. Um, legs, like I said, give him an upside, I think. But I also think that you have some questions definitely when it comes to overall production week in, week out in the passing game. Yeah, I, yeah, and that, that's the thing is that I think his legs will serve him well enough that he'll be a high end QB two, and he may even make it up to his QB ten. But if he does, it's going to be close, and he's going to be narrowly beating out someone like like the Tannehills and Staffords that that are going below him. Whereas I, I don't know, I find it a little more likely that someone like Stafford or Tannehill, you know, blows up as a passer than it is that. Uh, Hertz becomes a slightly above average passer, which is what it would take essentially for him to to be someone who I would want as my consistent QB1. All right, so moving on to Logan Thomas. Speaking of the quarterback position, we've got a former quarterback moved tight end, Logan Thomas. Yeah, Logan Thomas' ADP is a little high for me. I think that he's going to be a decent tight end option. We talked about different tight ends, you know, the guys that we like or don't like. Um, but Robert Tanyan, for example, is a good example of a guy who I think is definitely better than Logan Thomas. And Logan Thomas is going to be 30 years old. Um, he's not necessarily going to have stolen his upside. I think he had his best year kind of last year in a lot of ways. Um, Washington added more talent to receiving position as well, which I think is also going to be impactful. Now, I think the red zone will have some, t- some usage because, you know, we know Fitzpatrick likes to throw the ball up. But I also think that Fitzpatrick tends to, like, throw the ball to his receivers more often than his tight ends. We saw Kasaki kind of struggle with his consistency as, as a, you know, a tight end uh, route, sorry, tight end option. Um, and then when you look at Logan Thomas, I also think that he doesn't do anything particularly that jumps off, you know, off the TV for you where you're just like, this guy's so fast or runs great routes. He's a bigger, taller guy. He runs, he's about 6'5". But they talked about, you know, some guys who can be stuck by a linebacker. We talked about, you know, Hockiston. This guy's not going to necessarily blow by people. He's not, a, you know, a size speed, ridiculous guy where you're just like you can't match up with him. Um, I think he benefited a lot 
from Alex Smith being quarterback for good portion of the year last year, where we know Alex Smith traditionally throws the tight end or the running back, and that's pretty much what he's going to go to. So with, with Fitzpatrick, I think you have a little bit of a change in the guard. You know, a team that's going to have more receiving options on the outside and be more aggressive down the field. I don't see the logo Thomas says like fits with all those things. Yeah, you're 100% right um, that he definitely benefited a little bit from having Alex Smith. And, you know, you, you said mentioned Gasicki. He's going below um, below Logan Thomas. And, I you know, I think depending on where, where you stand on Tua, he's someone who I, I feel like at least has more upside. And at this tight end position, like we're already in this little bunch at the bottom right here, I feel like you want to chase upside. So you want to chase someone like like Tanyan who, you know, um, has the potential to get a lot of touchdowns, a lot of targets because the receivers outside of Devontae Adams aren't that great. Or someone like Gasicki who um, could just, you know, emerge as a great option for Tua. We don't know who Tua is going to fall in love with as his receivers to this point. Um, yeah, I just I, – I, I'd have to agree with you. I think Logan Thomas is in for a bit of a decline. I, at this tight end position and the back end, it – you know, you're kind of shooting a dart at this point. Like it, it's hard to say what's going to happen with, with these guys at the end, but yeah, Logan Thomas wouldn't be my first pick if I was looking for my tight end one. So, so moving on to my last guy, I kept this a little bit lighthearted just because I saw him at the, the bottom of the positional uh, ADP. Tim Tebow is currently the tight end 32, the tight end three. So if for some reason you were in a, a deep enough league that you would first be rostering Tim Tebow or rostering three tight ends, do me a favor. Don't roster Tim Tebow. <laughs> like there is no, 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 no good reason for this to be the case at all. Like I, I cannot even begin to fathom why this is a thing. There's, I'm not convinced that Tebow makes the roster. And if he does, we are talking about a quarterback who, I mean, at, he ran a 4-8 in the draft when he was training specifically for the 40. And we are a decade later. You cannot tell me that he runs any more than a 4-9. He's undersized for the position. He's never played the position. He's in his 30s. He's been playing a different sport for like six, seven years at this point. There's, I wish Tebow all of the best, but if you put him anywhere near your fantasy team, you're an absolute nut job. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Number one, I don't wish him all of the best. I think that it's a farce that he's even getting an opportunity to play the tight end position. I'd rather see Kelvin Benjamin try to play a tight end than watching Tim Tebow out there trying to play tight end. Um, and I also look at Tim Tebow. A lot of people are trying to make the comparisons to Taysom Hill. As you brought up that F40 speed, Taysom Hill ran a 4.49. Taysom Hill is an athlete. He can do multiple things. So even Tebow was utilized in some kind of different role where he's the the goal line back or some things that they kind of make some kind of stupid play for him to kind of utilize them. He's not somebody you want on your fantasy team. Maybe, maybe he has a week where he has like a touchdown because he ran one in. Maybe he does something that, you know, gets you some kind of oh, numbers. Taysom Hill got you like three or four years ago, but the usage and all the gadget players they already have in place. I just see where does he really fall in line? I think that I think that Tim Tebow is basically there just so they have somebody to kind of talk about make Urban Meyer look better than he really is because I think Urban Meyer's got a hell of a record if you look at it. Um, but I think that when Tim Tebow comes, is, is basically that guy that's supposed to be like, you know, anybody can do it, the hardworking guy, you know, the good Christian dude that everybody wants to kind of look up to. That's awesome, except for I think the tight end position and playing football is not going to work out. That's also why George Kittle didn't invite him to the tight end camp. Yep, these are all these are all <laughs> fantastic points. Uh yeah, no, no debate for me. There's definitely other tight ends that should have gotten a shot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I It's hard for me to fathom him being in the league. And the fact that he was being picked at tight end 32, just, I mean, once again, that's so irrelevant for fantasy that I, like, I'm surprised with the stat even but exists. Even, but me and I talked about Harris from the Rams. Like, I think you, we both would agree that he's a better of a guy to try to take a shot on there. If you're yeah. having a deep, deep position where you're a tight end loaded league you're playing in, then it's Tim Tebow. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. There's, I'm not sure that he's the tight end three on the Jaguars, let alone in fan like a tight end three in fantasy. There are he's being picked 32nd among tight ends, and I there's probably 50 or 60 that you should be getting before him. So I don't know that we don't need to talk about a, a tight end that's not going to play. Instead, we can talk about one that is to end the show. Irv Smith Jr., um, the new, not new, he's been around for a little bit, but now fully the starting tight end for the Minnesota Vikings. Why is he being overvalued? Yeah, so this one's hard for me because it's reached too close to my heart. Now, first of all, Irv Smith Sr. went to my high school, so I always kind of looked out for Irv Smith Jr. because I was hopeful that he'd be productive. I think he's got a hell of a talent. I think that he should be. A, a guy that you'd want to target in fantasy. However, he plays for the Minnesota Vikings, and the Vikings don't seem to want to utilize tight end position. Um, we kind of see, even if you can buy him and Kyle Rudolph's numbers last year, Irv Smith Jr. is still not some guy you wanted to target. Um, we talked about Adam Thielen having a hard time making sure that he eats. I don't know how you're going to try to make sure that Irv Smith Jr. is going to be involved. And there's already talk about using Tyler Conklin a lot of times from um, Zimmer, kind of insinuated that Conklin's also going to be out there a lot, kind of in the Kyle Rudolph role. So Irv Smith Jr.'s uh, potential is kind of limited in a lot of ways because he's going to be on a lot of two tight end sets. He's already going to be the third or fourth option in the passing game because Dalvin Cook's going to be involved, Adam Thielen's going to be involved, Jefferson's going to be involved. And then we look at overall the volume of that team. team doesn't throw the ball a lot. They're going to run the ball more than they're going to throw. So I, while I wish Irv Smith Jr. nothing but, you know, production and and hopeful that he will be a star that he could be because I think he's got a lot of talent. I think he's got a good runner. I think he's a good blocker. He's just on the wrong team, on the wrong situation right now. So the jump out where I think people are kind of hyping them because Rudolph's gone, I don't necessarily see that jump. I wish I did, but I don't see it. Yeah, and I mean, just because of his size, he's not the, the typical tight end size. And what that means to me is that someone like, Conklin will potentially be ahead of him in line for red zone targets. Which if you're a tight end who's outside of the five, six, maybe seven max that are getting wide receiver level targets uh, for pretty much everyone else, the position you are fantasy relevant because you scored touchdowns. And with someone like Thielen, who we saw get a bunch of touchdowns last year with Justin Jefferson on the team with Dalvin cook being an elite running back with, um, and then, you know, with Conklin, I'm not going to guarantee that Irv Smith Jr. gets a ton of touchdowns, and that's where we would be getting value out of him. Um, I, I think he is, to your point, a great player. Um, he's a, a really good matchup against linebackers with his speed, um, good route runner, someone who I think there are situations and offenses where he could break out, but I don't know that this one is that. Yeah. yeah. So that's our, our show tonight. Um, thank you all for, for watching. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow uh, at Belly Up Fantasy Live on Twitter if you haven't already. And then you can follow at LaRue Adam right, right down below me right here uh, if you're watching the video stream uh, at L-H-E-U-R-E-U-X Adam. Um, if you are watch- listening in, um, Chris, uh, are, are you guys doing uh, your show with Dan uh, this week? No, so this week the MD's fantasy show is going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus while Dan's in Hawaii, living it up, you know, living on the beach, enjoying his vacation he well definitely deserves. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks, returning to our team profiles to continue to break down the rest of the, the teams that we have on our list. Um, but I think that this week, you know, he should enjoy his vacation, and so MD show MD Nation. <laughs> absolutely yes uh, dan once again if you're listening enjoy your vacation and also stop listening <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone we will be back on this show uh in two weeks um either discussing i believe um undervalued or uh best ball i'm not sure how the schedule lines up um we'll figure that out and we'll be back to you in two weeks thanks for watching Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. 
Fred is known in the UK for three things. Customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things. Customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.